Well, welcome to Thrive. I want to welcome everyone this morning, everyone online. I want to welcome all of you that are here with us. I want to thank you for worshiping together with us. It's an honor. We're all about this. We're all about don't just survive, thrive. Our motto here at Thrive is grow, develop, succeed. We are growing a kingdom. We are developing our character. And the way we succeed is by going and doing the call that God has in our lives, in our local church, and in our community. And that's what Thrive is about. We say this every Sunday because so many people, you say, well, what's your church about? You know, well, I don't know. It's just a good church. We go there on Sunday. <laughs> I know I've said that myself. <laughs> you know, but the Bible says write the vision down. Make it clear. And we need to make it clear what we're about. We're not in competition with any other church. Because we are all the church. I'm not trying to pull people away. That's why I tell you, don't invite people from other churches to come over here uh, because the thing of it is, is, is they're part of the church. We want to grow. So how do we grow? We go and we lead people to Christ. How do we do it? We don't tell them, you're going to hell. We tell them how much Jesus loves them. We tell them the price that he paid for them. And we tell them to come as you are. And you know when they come, I tell them to stay as they are. I don't tell them to change and all these rules. You know why? I let God do that. I'm going to be kind to them, and I'm going to love them unconditionally with no strings attached, just like Jesus loves me. And if we start acting like Jesus, we're going to see the world turn to Jesus. Amen? You want to see signs and wonders and miracles and the power of God? You start loving people unconditionally and giving them the word in love. And signs follow his word. Amen? See, the disciples did it out of love. I mean, it took them three and a half years to figure it out. And even then, they were a little scared, but, but they did it out of love because they had the master teaching them every step of the way. Well, what's so cool, and now this is none of my message, so don't take it off my preaching time. What's so cool about this is, is this, is he has given you his spirit, the Holy Spirit, who lives within you to do what? To just be like being with the disciples. He teaches you every step of the way. See, he didn't do that in the old covenant. He led them fire by night, cloud by day. He led them and he talked through a prophet. And, but check it out. Y'all prophets now. Maybe not the physical five-fold ministry of the pro prophet, but y'all have the same spirit. And you're not, oh man, where's that prophet out? I gotta look for that prophet. No, you don't. Get quiet. God, show me. And when you say that and you mean that and you humble yourself before him, he shows you. He directs you. He lights the path. I mean, who would have ever thought that a boy from Southern California would be in Greenville, Tennessee? You know? I mean, but then I think of who would have ever thought that a punk rocker in the late 70s, early 80s, orange hair, mohawks, and just acted like the devil, would be a pastor? Well, thank you. I got one amen. Well, I'm excited about the season that we're in right now, the things that we're about ready to do, what we're about ready to get involved in. This Wednesday, we have our serve day. 4th of July, 
And what we do here, and I'm so thankful for all of you that participated last year. It was our first year. But what we do is we serve the community. It's open up to everybody in the community. We, we give them hot dogs. We give them uh, sodas. And we give them all kinds of stuff for free. Last year, we serviced 860 people in this community that don't go to this church. I mean, look around. There's not 860 people here. We don't even, I, don't, we, I don't even think we're, the building's equipped for 860 people. I think, we're, I think we were equipped for 500 total. So we had 860 people come last year. And they weren't all here at one time. They were here throughout, throughout the event. But what was so cool is I got on Facebook, and I was watching these people who don't come to church here getting on my Greenville and telling everybody who was downtown in the community, hey, you need to come up to Thrive Church because it's way better than what the town's putting on. <laughs> well, we've increased this year. We're doing more. It's going to be better this year. And I'll tell you, if Jesus tarries, it's going to be better next year. Why? Because God likes things to get better and better. He saves the best for last. Amen? And all we have to do is stay focused. We're not here to bring them here to beat them over the head with the Bible. We're here to be kind to them, to love on them unconditionally with no strings attached. And because when you do that, then all of a sudden people will come to you when they're hurting and they're in a time of trouble because you don't know who comes through these doors, what's going on in their lives. And they'll come to you. Why? Because they trust you. You trust people who are kind to you. You don't trust people who beat you down. The reason why people don't trust God is because preachers for years, we've been teaching people that God is going to get you for that. And I taught that too. I'm not going to tell you I didn't because that's what I was taught. But the more I've read the Bible, the, God did get us for that. He sent Jesus. Because before that, he was sending plagues and striking people down and all kinds of stuff. And, and there was no, no grace, uh, dispensation of grace. It was, man, it was hard. It was the law. But then Jesus came in with grace. He brought a, he brought a new message. It's not that God changed, but the, the righteous requirements of the law were fulfilled in Christ Jesus. And when he fulfilled that and we accepted that and received that, we no longer became these little insignificant worms. The Bible says that we were made to be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And that's because he who knew no sin was made to be sin. When he was made to be sin, he took on all past, present, and future sin in my life, in your life, in everyone's life. So what happened was, and, and, I, and I hate to say this because so people don't understand what I'm saying, but I just don't believe the, in atonement. Everybody's like, what? No, let me explain this. I believe in something better. I want you to think about this. It's only mentioned one time in the Bible, in the New, New Testament, and that's Romans uh, 5.11. But the word there is not supposed to be atonement. The word there is supposed to be reconcile. Okay? When you do a study on what that means, it means exchange. Atonement, when you do a Greek study or a Hebrew study on it, it's a Bethel. Asphalt, a covering. This wasn't the great cover-up. He's the Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. So if that's the case and the word is exchange, what happened at Calvary? Jesus became what we were so we could become who he is. That's how you become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It's not your righteousness. 
You have nothing to brag about. But I'll tell you what this does with this type of revelation. It humbles you. It really does. It makes you love him so much more because the price he paid was so great. Amen? We can go home. I love to teach the word. I love to get into word studies and things like that. It's, it's one of my greatest joys of doing is, is teaching the word. I've taught, taught in a seminary, accredited seminary for a while, and um, the faith class that I taught, and I was, I, they, they were teaching uh, out of Rhema's uh, books and stuff. And so I taught what they wanted me to teach and told them what, you know, that you need to know this for the test. But then I taught them what I've learned. And the dean's mom was in my class, and she was mad at me. And she, well, you know, that's, oh, I can't believe you. I said, I said, wait a minute. I said, the book that you're reading from, I said, the late Kenneth E. Hagan, I said, he taught me personally. So I said, I know he doesn't mean what you're saying. I said, a lot of people say he means that. And I said, I know he doesn't because, because I, know, I know, knew him. So I explained what he meant and, and, you know, went through the stuff that the Holy Spirit had given me. Well, the dean was a little bit upset that I did that, but he's still a good friend of mine. We're still really close friends. But then another pastor who pastors, and they're probably watching online, pastors in Bristol, his church went in revival. It's a church of God out of uh, Cleveland. His church went, went into revival for eight weeks from that teaching. Lives were changed. That school, I believe, now has taken some of that teaching and has incorporated it. See, if the teaching itself was just me and me alone, and I'm the only one who got the revelation, more than likely I'm wrong. But when the teaching comes around, he's going to give it to everyone, because what it is, it's we take a look at Scripture in line with what we were taught. What somebody finally beat into my head was open up your Bible, get the easiest translation you can find, because if you don't speaketh in the King Jameth, you're probably not going to understand what the word importunity means. Because though he didn't rise and give to him because of his friend, he rose and gave him to him because of his importunity. And you keep reading, you're going, yeah, see, I got people still looking at me like, mm, what? Exactly. Find a translation, not just a paraphrase, find a translation. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal Jesus to you. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Imagine yourself in the story being there, and you will see Jesus like you've never seen him before. That's the truth. So what I'm telling you is this. Don't just believe it because I say it. You need to read it for yourself and have the Holy Spirit reveal it to you. Amen? All right. You guys ready to get in the message now? Okay. Oh, man. So last week we kicked off a series, Transformer. And Better Together was, was basically how we started off. Because we are better together. And this is what we said. We were talking about relationships. We said, no, number one, serving one another. Number two, encouraging one another. Number three, producing with one another. And that we're better together. So today what I want to talk about is I want to talk about transforming into the hands and the feet of Jesus. And that's what I want to get into. And we'll do this 
in Luke chapter 4, it starts off where Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert, and he was tempted for 40 days, and then after that, he went into Galilee and taught in their synagogues, and we'll pick it up here in verse 16, because then it says, he went into Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. So I want you to notice that Jesus went to church. So all these people say, well, you know, I'm going to follow Jesus, and we're just going to not go to church or whatever. No, Jesus went to church. Okay? And it says, and he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unfolding it, he found the place where it is written. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. To release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then what happened is Jesus rolled up the scroll, he handed it to the attendant, he sits down, and everybody starts staring at him like, huh? Like, what you talking about, Lewis? Right? I mean, they're just looking at him. Kind of like you guys look at me sometimes. Okay? <laughs> and so then Jesus, he tells him this, he said, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, this is what he said. He said, I'm going to tell you. Y'all been waiting for the Messiah to come. You've been waiting for the King of Kings to come to set up his throne and all this stuff. I'm him. All right, let's make this real. Think about this. Think. You're growing up in Nazareth. You're playing tag with Jesus. Kickball, whatever. He's on your little league team. Well, now he's about 30 years old. He's been a carpenter for a long time. So he worked in the trades. He worked in the fields. And all of a sudden, your schoolyard buddy says, I'm the Messiah. You know what we would do to people like that? We would lock them up. We would call the funny farm. I mean, woohoo, cuckoo, he went nuts. Well, can you imagine? That's kind of this setting right here. I mean, I couldn't imagine. But this, he said what his mission was. He said his mission was to give the good news to the poor. Freedom to those who are in bondage. Sight to those who can't see. Releasing the oppressed, the downtrodden, the brokenhearted, the depressed, the possessed, and bring them all to rest. And that's what Jesus had come to do. That's his mission. He said this. He said to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. In other words, he was saying salvation has come to you today. So in Luke chapter 7, Jesus shows us what it's like to be his hands and feet. He just told us what it was. Now he's going to show us what it's like to be. He said soon afterward, well, soon afterward what? Well, right before then, he healed the centurion's servant. So soon after that, so soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain. Not Maine. He didn't get lobster. Nain. Everybody say Nain. Okay. Nain is an out-of-the-way town that you, if you're going to Nain, you're not going anywhere else. You don't go through there to go somewhere. Okay? It was rough terrain. Okay? It was about 25 miles from where they were at. 
And it goes on to say, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. So not only did Jesus go there, he took a posse with him to walk 25 miles. Now, I live over by Lowe's. The Walmart in Johnson City is 25 miles. If I were to say, hey, guys, I'm going to take a walk up to Walmart to go get some groceries in Johnson City. How many of y'all want to come with me? Who's in? Okay, you're my new BFF. Because my wife would be in in the car. <laughs> right? So when I looked at this, I, I Google checked this to see the length of time. If I walked, and this is a good straight path from, from there to there, nice terrain, it would take me an average of 8 hours and 24 minutes one way. So it was going to take Jesus in rough terrain anywhere from 9 to 10 hours probably. How many of you all just say, you know, I'm just going to take a nine-hour walk today? <laughs> hey, guys, I'm going to take a nine-hour walk. You want to come with me? I mean, that's kind of what just happened here, right? So they got up, and they started walking. But what was so important? See, with Jesus, it's not what. It's who. See, the cross of Calvary is the what, but the important part was the who. Who went? And who did he go for? So the important part wasn't the what. The what, the, the walking, that wasn't the important part. The important part was the motivation behind it. Okay. So here we go. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out. The only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a large crowd from the town was with her. So death has come to this lady's door at least twice. She was a widow, her husband, and her only son. So basically, she was alone. That's what it was saying. So she gets up, and it says a large crowd. They go to the, to the, uh, the gate of the city because they're taking this dead person out of the city to go bury him. And she looks, and what does she meet? Who does she meet coming into the city? As she was bringing death out of the city, life was entering the city. Man, I'm going to tell you, that's a good place to shout right there. That was good. So when pain was going out of the city, purpose was coming into the city. See, Jesus, when you allow him to, he will put purpose to your pain. He will help that pain leave if you allow him to. But you have to realize you've got to take that other thing to the grave. You have to let it die. You have to let it go. So it says, when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her. So Jesus looked at her pain, and he identified with her pain. He looked at this, and he came to give her help in time of need. So if you understand this, when you're in pain, when you're in distress, when you're in sin, when you're in the darkest place of your life, if you allow him to, he'll come in and let that thing be released. Amen? But this is, check out what he said to her. He said, don't cry. What? What? I mean, if I came to someone's funeral, let's just say I go to a funeral home and they're bawling and everything and they don't know me, and I look at the wife or husband or whoever, don't cry. I mean, you're going to look at me like, how stupid can you be and still breathe? You know, you're going you're gonna to be upset with me, you're gonna, you, right? 
Well, the thing of it is, is he's the only one who can say that. Here we go. It says, then he went up and touched the coffin, and those carrying it stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. Jesus was speaking into a realm that none of them could see. He was speaking into the realm of death. And he spoke into the death realm and brought life out. So he's the only one who can say, don't cry. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praise God. Okay, funeral's over, guys. Right? Back to let's think about this. Pretend you're a pallbearer. And you're taking this guy out of the city, right? You're going out of the city. Some guy has his own posse. Woman, don't cry. Shut up, right? You know, however he actually said it. And then he walks up. I mean, because you're all, they stood there. They stopped. They're like, what's going on? Guy touches the thing and says, get up, boy. He pops right up. Let me tell you something. It says they were praising God, but I bet you at first they were going, ah! yeah. You see a dead person pop up, tell me what your response is going to be. I mean, I'd like to say we're that holy. They went, ah! Oh, glory to Jesus. Hallelujah. Right? I mean, think about it. I mean, when you read the word of God, isn't it great? The Holy Spirit reveals Jesus. And his attributes on who he is, what his hands and feet are like, everything. And this is how Jesus is. He's there to wreck the funeral home business. Hospitals, whatever. But the thing of it is, is we have to believe him and trust him. Why do bad things happen to good people? And I hear that all the time. Why does this happen? Why does that happen? Because we have a world that's still full of people who love to sin. The devil's not over this world. And you know what? No, I'm not going to say that. Yeah, I am. I am. He never was over the earth. Because when he offered the kingdoms to Jesus when he was tempted in the wilderness, he, what he did is he offered the authority over the people not over the planet, because God gave Adam authority over the planet. The world, when it says world, doesn't mean planet. Well, why is that so important? Because the devil's never had authority. What we did is we listened to his lies, we believed him, and because of that, all these things happened because God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he reap. Whatsoever. Now, so many people like to use that talking about money, and I, and I get it. it. It will work in that realm, but he wasn't talking about money in that scripture there. It's a principle. And the thing of it is, you need to understand we reap what we sow. Jesus said, the works that I do, you're going to do in greater because I go to my Father who's in heaven. Well, what greater work can you do than that? Not only can you do that, the works that I do, you can do. 
but greater works because I go to my Father. What does that mean? That means he didn't have the power to lead people to himself while he was alive for the salvation that we lead people to. So when he went up and ascended into heaven, he gave us power to grow, develop, succeed. He gave us power to grow a kingdom, to give some life into people that he wasn't able to give while he was a man on this earth. He had to die and rise from the dead in order for this to happen, and then gave you and I the power to go out and make disciples out of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You know, back when I was going to church uh, and things were pretty fun and crazy and wild, uh, we had some Holy Spirit moves. Some of them were awesome. Lee and I were talking about this last night. But some of them were just weird. Okay? But my fear in saying this is those of us who believe in the Spirit of God, the moves of the Spirit of God, have we been so cautious of the weird? We're not allowing His Spirit to manifest. Anyway, that had nothing to do with my message. That was just a conversation Lee and I had last night. So stories like this blow me away. I mean, I look at this, I think about this, I'm like, man, this guy's dead, stiff, rigor mortis. Get up, boy, you know. I mean, whoo. So transforming into the hands and feet of Jesus, what I've learned from this story, it starts with, and it should be in your notes, compassion. That's what it starts with. It starts with compassion. Compassion is when you allow someone's pain into your heart. When you allow their pain into your heart, you feel for them. You, you have empathy for them. God loves us enough. What he wants to do is he wants to put us on a collision course with compassion. That's what he wants. Take a look at our small group. We have a small group that feeds people. Why? Because we have people who are compassionate about those who are hungry. We have a small group that ha it's a recovery program. We have, we have people who are compassionate about those who are involved in addiction. All of our small groups have something involved with compassion. And if we don't have a small group here that, that you see that, that you really want to connect with in your heart, maybe God is calling you to be that compassionate person to start it or be a part of starting it. Because that's what we need to be. We need to be compassionate about each other, and we need to be compassionate about our groups. Jesus didn't walk nine hours by accident. He walked nine hours by compassion. He was intentional about what he did. Real quickly, I'm going to give you five practical things that can transform your you into the hands and feet of Jesus. The first one is this. You can go to the pain. The first two letters of God and the first two letters of the gospel is go. So we can all go to the pain. Go to the small group. Why go to the small group? Because you can go to the pain there because there's people who have pain in that small group. Go to the dream team. Be a part of this church and be a, a, a member that's doing something. Go to the pain. Because if you're helping in this church, there's people who have pain in this church that need your gifting. Go to the pain. If you hear of a need, go to it. 
today after church, um, I was supposed to go to lunch with some people. I told them last week, and I'm not going to be able to go because we have a lady who uh, had emergency surgery yesterday um, in Knoxville uh, at UT. And so right after church, we're, we're heading off out there. Um, but we'll get back with you guys, not next week, the week after, because my pastor's coming next week. And, and I'm telling you, he's amazing. Um, number two, we are to look for the lost. Look for the lost. When I was five, around five, my grandmother took me to Hawaii. She was looking at buying some property in Hawaii. And we were at this hotel, and it was, it was pretty high. And I had this little uh, plastic police set. Had a little billy club, a little plastic handcuffs, a little badge, a little whistle, you know. And so I'm blowing the whistle, having a good time. And, and I dropped it off the balcony. And I'm looking. And my grandma was asleep, you know. How do I know? Because, you know, that kind of. She's from the Catholics, so I know she wasn't speaking in tongues. Um, so anyway, what I did is, is I thought, okay, I'll go get it, you know. And I go outside and, you know. And I go, and I'm looking. I don't remember if I found the whistle or not. I, I, that part I, of my memory, I forgot. But I remember this. I couldn't find the room. I was five, and I was lost. But on one of the floors, I don't even, because I didn't remember which floor we were on, so I, all the floors are the same. So, you know, I went to one of the floors, and I'm looking around, and an elderly lady comes out with her grandson. And she brought me into their room, and they fed me, they gave me something to drink, and I, I guess they talked to the hotel management, front desk or whoever, and eventually they got a hold of my grandmother, and they, you know, hooked us back up. Rick, what's the point of it? I was lost. Well, how do you know if somebody's lost when they're walking around aimlessly? That's a good clue right there. There's going to be some lost people that come here on the 4th of July who are walking around aimlessly. And what we need to do is we need to go to them. And we don't need to go to them going, oh, you, <laughs> just be friendly. Let them, put a hand out to them. Let it, tell them what your name is. Ask what their name is. And, you know, and try to find out what their interests are. If you don't know someone's interests, you don't know them. You know, I, and I've done this for fun over the years, and I, I've said, anybody know what God's favorite color is? And everybody has an opinion, and I said, well, it's red. Oh, no, purple royalty and this, and everybody, white righteousness and, you know, just all this stuff. I said, no, it's, it's red. And I said, it's not because he thinks the color's better than any other color as far as appearance. I said, the reason why it's red, it's not because of what, it's because of who. Who it represents. What he did. It represents you. It represents me. Then, okay, what are his interests? Others. If you know his interest is others, and if you know why he has this and that, why it's so close to him, guess what? You're starting to know him. So many people know about him, but it's not knowing about him, it's knowing him. I didn't leave a very lucrative career in the railroad to get into the ministry that doesn't really pay 
even close because, I, because it's so prestigious. I did it because of who he is. I did it because who he is in me. Lay my life down for that. And everywhere I go, Leah is correct yesterday when she tells me I talk to too many people and I talk for too long. Um, but not trying to say to my defense, but to my defense, <laughs> my goal with talking with anyone and everyone is to identify where you're at and what I can give you. No matter who you are. I believe that's part of my DNA that God's created me to be. I, I'm not to give everybody the gospel to get them born again. Some people need to be delivered from something. Some people just need a smile. Some people just need an ear. Sometimes that's hard for me since I talk so much. But some people just need an ear. So what we have to do is we have to go and we, to the lost and we have to find them. Amen? All right. Number three. We are to love the unlovable. What? Yeah. You know that person that cut you off the day going to church? <laughs> yeah, that person. You love them. You know, they go, oh, you don't know what they did to me. <laughs> My goodness. Read what they did to Jesus. You know? And you probably deserved it anyway. I'm just kidding. I don't like that pastor. Number four, we are to give hope to the hurting. Encourage someone. Pray for someone. Let me tell you, I, do ne I never pray for unspoken prayer requests. Ever. I haven't done it ever in my life. And I have, all, I have a bunch of friends who are pastors. They pray unspoken prayer requests. And I tell them I don't do that. And they're like, well, you know, they, they're, they're uncomfortable. They might not want to let it. I don't know what they're praying for and believing for. And how do I know I'm going to come into agreement? What if, what if the joker's trying to get me to divorce my wife and get with my wife? I'm not praying with him. You know, I don't know what he's praying for. If you don't trust me enough, don't pray with me. I'm just saying, right? And, and I'll tell you another thing I don't pray. Lord, if it be your will. He said it one time. You read it in context. He said, yet not my will, but thy will. be." In other words, he knew the will of God. If you don't know the will of God, it's because you don't read your Bible. And it's because you don't speak with him on a daily basis. That's why you're praying, okay, seven come 11. I really hope this works. It's not, I hope it's going to work. It's, is it covered in the word? If it's covered in the word, we speak the word, and his word doesn't go back to him void, and we speak it by faith, and when you speak things by faith and trust in him, look, your reputation's not on the line. His is. He doesn't heal part of the time. It says everyone who came to Jesus was healed. The problem, well, why don't people get healed? Because they really don't come to Jesus. They go to Benny Hinn, they go to, you know, and I'm not saying Benny Hinn's a bad person. I'm just saying they're chasing a man instead of chasing God. Oh, you know, I got I to gotta wait to go to church to get healed. No, you don't. The word in and of itself will heal you if you let it. 
We just have a harder time believing for ourselves than we do for other people. Now, if we would start having the same type of faith, oh my goodness, what can we do? I can honestly say, in almost 20 years, I've not had the flu. And what happened was, and and those of you who know me know that I drive school buses at times, so I'm around sick kids all the time. I'm in law enforcement, so I'm around all kinds of, you know, strange people that have strange kind of things. I, I made a declaration in Bible college, and I said this. You know, while I was, I was getting the flu symptoms, I was like, Lord, I can't afford this. And all of a sudden, I started hearing, yeah, God said, man of faith and power, blah, blah, blah. You know, I mean, it was just attacking my head. I was about ready to go to work, and I'm like, oh. Immediately, Scripture came out. Greater is he that's in me, but the Holy Spirit changed the next part of it. Then sickness and disease is in the world. And as soon as that came out of my mouth, immediately the symptoms were gone. And I have not had the flu since. Because I go back to that every time. But you know what? That works on anything. But we have to. It's not how much faith you have. You have faith of a mustard seed. If it's pure, undefiled faith, he explodes. See, it takes the same amount of faith to believe for a million dollars as it does a blue pair of socks. It's just easier for a blue pair of socks because we look at how big... God doesn't look at how big something is. We do. We need to quit doing that and just saying, look, if we can find it in the Word of God, not twisting the Scriptures, but if we can find it and when the Holy Spirit reveals it to us, then we can give hope to hurting people. You can't give hope to, to a hurting person. Oh, Lord, if they did something wrong, let them turn their lives around so you take this affliction off them. Let me tell you, God is afflicting no man. He quit doing that after Jesus rose from the dead. Matter of fact, affliction's not going to happen until later on. And when that affliction happens, you do not want to be around. Well, why are we getting afflicted? Because we reap what we sow. That's the truth. Don't think for a moment you don't have dirty minds. Oh, can't tell, you can't tell me I don't have a dirty mind. Yes, you do. You just might not have one right now. But you might go to Myrtle Beach and you see some hot thing in a bikini or a, a swimming suit and you go, whoa, whoa, can't look at that. You know, your mind's already traveled. <laughs> dirty thing. Anyway, that's another sermon. Number, number five and the last one. We are to offer the grace of God. That's what we're to do. We're to offer the grace of God. What's grace? Grace, we hear it's divine favor, which is true. But let's open that up. Let's just, what is grace? It's God's divine ability working in me and through me to give me the ability that I cannot do in my own ability. That's grace. And that's what we need. We need to give people grace. Every Sunday, we point people to Jesus right here. Every Sunday, we give them the opportunity to experience grace. If you take these five principles and use them every day, then every day, you will be demonstrating the hands and the feet of Jesus. 